0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Our second president's wife, Abigail, wrote a letter to her friend in 1775 right before the Declaration of Independence was signed. Here's what she said. A patriot without religion, that is, without the Christian faith, in my estimation, is as great a paradox as an honest man without the fear of God. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? Because her husband wrote this in his diary. Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts therein exhibited. Every member would be obliged in conscience to temperance, frugality, and industry, to justice, kindness, and charity toward his fellow men, and to piety, love, and reverence toward Almighty God. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be. Well, he was in the United States of America, and he was the U.S. minister to France long before he became president of the United States. So what is it about us? What is it about you? What is it about me? Can make a difference in a country that is on a rapid descending plane to debauchery and uh, every other vice that you can think of, and where the nation is divided profoundly, we say politically, but actually the political divide is the result of a massive spiritual divide. As we have abandoned the fear of the Lord, from the church house to the White House, uh, and uh, also from the schoolhouse to the courthouse, it just seems like the authority of God at his word has been given an eternal vacation. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to talk about what it takes to stand for God in America. Not just to stand for America, but to stand for God in America, On the other hand, people might say, well, the devil believes in God, so just believing in God isn't the only thing that matters. And that's true. Because as we're going to discover, we're going to find also that our founders actually established their convictions upon the faith delivered to the saints through Jesus Christ. Not just God in the abstract but through faith in Jesus Christ. That being the case, how can Christians make a difference in today's society? Is it even possible anymore? People are fretting. People are wringing their hands in despair. They're frustrated. They're angry. Uh, it, it's just leading to ever-increasing frustration and ever-increasing division in the country. What can we do? What should we do? Is there anything that we can do to make a difference? Well, indeed, if, as the Apostle Paul said, that we are ambassadors for Christ, then, as an ambassador, we are representing Christ and his kingdom in another kingdom called the United States of America, which, indeed, is a political kingdom. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be an ambassador? And if we're not ambassadors for Christ, what are we ambassadors for? Are we truly embracing the word, the will, and the ways of the Lord of the church? Or are we embracing a mixture, some sort of an admixture of Americanism, the Christian faith, Uh, various other cultural adaptations and ideas of morality, are we all mixed up? And if so, how can we stand for God in America? All that lays the foundation for our special guest to join us here today on Viewpoint with her book, Standing for God in America. Lynn Wogeman, welcome to the program from South Carolina.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And uh, you know you're you're a mom of four kids, and you have four grandchildren. So, what is it, Lynn, that is prompting you to write a book like this? You're not a politician. You're not out there crusading. What is it that causes you to write a book like this? Uh,
1: my husband. Uh, oh, we were watching.
0: <laughs> oh my we were husband watching made me news. do it.
1: My husband made me do that, not the devil. My <laughs> husband made me. Do that. We were watching the news one night, and we just saw story after story after story of situations that we're facing in our country. Um, mm-hmm. And I made a comment to him, just very offhandedly, and said, "You know, if people would just do what the Bible says. So many of these problems would would be resolved." And then I started thinking about that comment that I made and realized that the problem with that is that you're, you're basing that assumption on that people know what God's Word says. And I realized that, that a lot of people don't know. Even Christians who profess to be Christians don't really know what God's Word says about That's the major true. topics that we, we deal with every day. And I, I said that to him and he looked at me very simply and said, tell them. And with my background in education, and I love to be a teacher, I love studying God's Word, and I took that as a challenge to say, how do I tell people what God's Word says? And so that was kind of where this all started from, was me just kind of saying, what are the issues that we're facing? What do people need to know about what God's Word says? What does the Bible say that is true, that is as relevant today as it was the day it was written? Um, and will be relevant till the day Christ comes again, and and how do I put that and make that um, applicable to people where they can understand it, they can grasp it, and then they know what to do with it once they've heard it. And so that's kind of where this all started from, and and from my kitchen table, you know, started putting this together, and God has just led and directed every step of this process, and. Because I'm a school psychologist, I work with children. I do testing for special needs children, and uh-huh. but this is a, this is just an avenue that God has given me to to make my own difference in today's society, and um, I'm trying to be faithful to that that He's given me.
0: Well, I think you've done a great job here. You've kept it simple. Uh, I believe in the the Kiss principle: keep it simple, saints. And uh, right. you you have done that. Uh, you haven't tried to write as a politician. You haven't tried to write as a pastor, per se, but you've tried to write as one who loves the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and also loves your country, and in that order. And that's where a lot of us get mixed up, isn't it? We it is. get, we, we love our country more than we love God, and uh, one tends to wonder, are we really Christians then?
1: Right. And, and you know, are we Christians who live in America or are we Americans who are Christians? There you and, go. And where you put that priority then determines how you um where you go. And so for me being a Christian was always first and foremost.
0: Well it's uh, like they say you gotta put the enf- our country. It's like they say you gotta put the emphasis on the rights of libel.
2: Right. right. <laughs> 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 and
1: realize that, you know, God is not unaware of what's going on in our country. And I think as Christians, we get, tend to get a little anxious Mm. about the direction that we're headed. And we, you know, and we maybe think that we're too far gone. Um, and that, you know, maybe we're too, too past the point that God can intervene or even wants to intervene. Um, or maybe is he's not able to intervene. And and all of those are wrong thinking.
0: There you go. And we
1: must get back to that, putting our faith in God.
0: Standing for God in America, friends. We'll be right back with Lynn Wogan. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer and friends, here are some further words from John Adams, our second president. On june twenty first, seventeen seventy six, just before the signing of our Declaration of Independence, here's what he said. My dear sir, may plan and speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles of upon which freedom can surely stand. The only foundation of free Constitution is pure virtue. And if this cannot be inspired into our people in a greater measure, than they have it now. They may change their rulers and the forms of government, but they will not obtain a lasting liberty. We're on the near edge of Constitution Day. And John Adams said... The only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. Did you know, my friends, that the majority of our founders emphasized that virtue was at the very foundation of liberty? What's ever happened to America? In the year 2002, actually, it was uh, earlier than that, Forbes magazine celebrated its 75th anniversary with a magazine a half an inch thick devoted to this question, whatever happened to virtue in America? Yeah, that was in 1992, by the way. 1992, whatever happened to virtue in America? That, my friends, was 31 years ago. And that was then. What would they say now? And how, in the midst of this kind of environment, can we stand for God in America? How Christians can make a difference in today's society, writes Lynn Wogeman, our guest today. And I want to make the book available to you right here on on this program and on our website. It's $17. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us. It's Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Standing for God in America. How you, as a professing Christian, can make a difference in today's society, no matter how dark it looks. And, Lynn, as we think about that, we see darkness upon the face of the earth. In fact, the Bible told us that gross darkness would come upon the face of the earth and over the people. But he also said that God's light would shine in and through us amid that darkness. And that really is the import of your book, isn't it? That Christians, being the light of the world as we are now, Christ having ascended back to the Father, means that as ambassadors, we are to be purveyors of God's light to make a difference in an ever-darkening society. Can that really be done?
1: Well, I would certainly hope so. Yes, that is the premise of the book. Um, I believe that we are called, like you said, to be light. And if we aren't willing to, to shine, we are so ineffective. Um, a silent Christian is an ineffective Christian. We That's have right. to engage with our world. We have to, um, to speak up where we see truth, where we see intr- untruth, where we see uh, perversion of what God's word says. We have to be willing to speak up and, and through our actions, through our lifestyle, through our words, um, share God, uh, God's word and his truth with others. And he's going to provide us so many opportunities to do that if we will make ourselves available to him and, um, Starting in our own homes and our own daily uh, commitment to spend time with Him, studying His Word, prayer, worship, and the engagement with our family, engagement with our local churches, but then also to be willing to engage with those outside of the way that we normally think, to be able to, to get involved in our communities, in the organizations, in our school boards, in our town councils, and, and really start to, um, Stand for those things that are important, that are valuable. Um, Our children, our families, um, just godly principles uh, that people want to begin to erode that confidence that we have in what God's Word tells us. By standing strong, by knowing God's Word, what does it say? And knowing that God is a God of truth, and He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He will not leave us or forsake us, and He will be there for us, and He will use us as we give ourselves to
0: him to be used 21 years ago uh, i wrote a book called renewing the soul of america and uh, in the course of the publisher looking through that manuscript they actually wrote the uh, byline for the book and here it is renewing the soul of america yes one person at a time beginning with you one person at a time beginning with you and because of that and because the focus of the book was not on political solutions but was on moral and spiritual and biblical solutions 38 national christian leaders endorsed it it's amazing it was utterly amazing but the focus was beginning with you for the past 40 years the message within the culture war environment has been them. The problem is them, not me. I don't have anything to do with it. It's about them. The problem with that is if it's all about them, then I have no relevance. I have just extricated myself from responsibility either for America's problems Or for its solutions. And I think that's been one of the problems that we've had with the culture wars. We've got everybody screaming at each other and pointing the finger, but nothing ever changes. Because nobody's taking responsibility for anything. Not really. Because it's not about me, it's about them. What say you?
1: I say that is so true. We put our head in the sand. We either want to ignore it, or like you said, we... we have the attitude that it's about them it's it's they are doing the wrong thing what can i do differently what can i how what change can i make and if we look at how jesus approached dealing with people he would walk into a city and and the city would maybe be an ungodly city they didn't recognize him as this this coming savior um or the savior who has come And he didn't walk in and start lambasting all of the political leaders. He did approach the religious leaders of the day and did hold them accountable Mm -hmm. for what they were teaching. But he went in and he spoke to each individual person, and he met needs where they were. He just lived out um, his truth and taught one-on-one and set the example and welcomed everyone with love and respect and compassion And I think when we engage in this it's us against them mentality, we lose that Christ-like message that says, you know, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And as we recognize that, yes, the problems that our country faces are underlying theological and and foundational uh, differences, but individually he loves each one of us. And we have to be so careful in how we share that message and how we present his message we can either attract people to God, or we can repel them away from him, just simply by the way we engage with our um, with those around us. Yeah. And, and so we just have to be so careful and, and study how did Jesus interact with people. He interacted with them one-on-one. He wanted to make a difference in their individual lives. He showed compassion on them. And then he told them, as he did the Samaritan woman, now that you know truth, go and sin no more. Mm. and and, then, and held them accountable um, to what they now knew as truth and so as we get involved in our communities in our homes in our um, in our workplace when we speak truth we speak it out of love but we speak it unfearlessly and uh, or fear, fearlessly um, and we but then we reach out to that person and say but you know what god loves you now take this truth and go and live according to his principles
0: Exactly, And
1: I think as we do that, and wherever we are, that God will take that message and then just multiply um, the results.
0: What I see, uh, though, is a, a great deal of fear among professing Christians. We, we don't have the fear of the Lord. We really don't. We've abandoned the fear of the Lord. And uh, for the past, uh, I'd say, 60, 70 years, we've been in the process of abandoning the fear of the Lord, which God calls the foundation of wisdom. The very font of wisdom. And so we have a hard time finding wisdom because we've abandoned the fear of the Lord. But what we do fear is man. We fear, as Christians, we fear man more than God. Our pastors are fearing man more than God. And so it quiets their minds, it quiets their words, so that they are absolutely petrified of speaking truth. Now they would say they're speaking truth in love, but in reality, they're so mealy mouth about the way they do it, they're trying to leave it up to the listener to try to figure out what they're saying, and nobody's able to figure out, and they bring more confusion to the issue. Truth, speaking the truth in love, means speaking the truth plainly so that it cannot be missed, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it does. And and again, and then telling how we can live that out and holding people accountable. And And you cannot please God and man you if you're trying to please both you're not going to please either
2: exactly because
1: you, you can't live in that middle of the road ground you have to take a stand and that's why we chose the name of the book taking a stand because you have to choose one way or the other you can't live in the middle of the road and um or you're going to get run over um and so i choose to stand on the side of the road where god is because that's where it's the safest and that's where the most power comes from um if you live to please man, you're, you're just never going to accomplish that. And God is not going to be pleased and he's not going to honor what you're doing. Um, I think we need to um, encourage our pastors, encourage those in leadership to speak truth. Um, and, and let them know that we have their back, but they're
0: afraid um, to speak truth because they've welcomed into their congregations. Those that say have never been welcomed into their congregations thinking that by dumbing down the truth, they are going to win more to Christ, and it's just done the opposite.
1: Well, the, the people that are anti-God, who have a different agenda, they want us to be um, ineffective. They want us to live in fear. They want us to feel like we have to please everyone. That's their strategy, and they the strategy of undermining our belief,
2: mm-hmm. of taking
1: our, the fundamental history of our country out of the textbooks,
2: right of
1: undermining the family all of that puts the christian in this unsettled position and that's where they want us they don't want us standing firm you know ephesians says stand firm with the belt of truth and and all of these things and and god gives us the spiritual um, armor to stand firm society wants to to tell us we don't really need that armor Um, we can take it off we can live just fine um you know nobody likes somebody that's walking around with all that armor and and they touch consensus <laughs> to take it off. And we have
0: Well that's to what the culture that's that's what the cancel culture is all about, isn't it?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Take off that armor. You don't need it. You'll be so much nicer. Everybody will like you more. Yeah, just be nice. That armor. So just be nice.
0: What you're talking about in standing up uh, for God in America is not the mealy mouth approach of just be nice. Because being nice if 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 that's what Jesus was, uh, he failed. Because if you read Matthew chapter 23, he excoriated the religious leaders of his day who were in effect both the religious and the political leaders. They were the leaders of Israel and he said, "You are whited sepulchers. You're full of dead men's bones. You're you are total hypocrites and you're not speaking the truth and you're deceiving the people and leading them down the primrose path." Now, Jesus used the harshest words of criticism for those who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders, and it was them that he was concerned about when he said, they purport to follow me, but in fact, they love the praises more than the praises of God, therefore they're not willing to go public and stand. That's our problem. That's the biggest problem we have today, I think. Uh, And if we're going to stand, we have to be willing to stand. I'll tell you, uh, Lynn, we used to sing a song called Stand Up for Jesus. Stand up, Mm -hmm. stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. That whole concept doesn't compute today in our churches, I don't think. No.
1: No. And I happen to love that song. I was a music <laughs> leader in my church uh, growing up. Uh-huh. Um, Paul, or um, John, writes in the book of Revelation that the angel said to the church at Laodicea, "You are neither hot nor cold, because you are lukewarm. I will spew you out of my mouth." Because God abhors people who are.
0: Mediocre. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. All right. And We're going to we go back stand. to this after the break, friends, standing for God in America. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. There
3: is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind.
0: Are we Christians who are Americans, or are we Americans who are also Christian? It makes a huge difference. A huge difference. Now, I want to make available to you, uh, Standing for God in America, how Christians can make a difference in today's society. There's no way we're going to be able to get to this whole book here today, but we're set the stage because, friends, we're at the Fisher Cup 8 moment for this country. We really are. But even more than that, it's for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because righteousness alone exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, including America. Including your church. Including your family. Standing for God in America. $17 will put this very encouraging and helpful book in your hands. Give us a call. 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. We're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, or you go to the website, saveus.org, saveus.org, where you can find so many different fact sheets and so on that will help you to understand exactly why we need to stand for God in America. So, here's the question that we have now. Are we Christians who are also Americans, or are we Americans who are also Christian? Let's apply that. We say that the family is the fundamental building block of society and of our country. We say that. But here's the truth. The truth is that for the past 20 to 25 years, the divorce rate in the church has nearly equaled that as the nation as a whole. And in the Bible Belt of America, where our guest lives and where we are broadcasting from, the divorce rate has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. So much so that the governors of six southern states declared a marital emergency about 15 years ago. Why? Because the pastors wouldn't do it. The governors had to declare a state of marital emergency. So if the governors had to declare a state of marital emergency in the Bible Belt of America, then what's the state of the family in our Christian homes in America? And what is the impact on the rest of the nation? Were you aware of those facts, Lynn?
1: I was not. And... I, I, I hate to say I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed. I'm saddened <laughs> by those statistics, so but is I'm God. not surprised. I, ask. Um, I work with children, and, and when I sit down with the parents, one of the first questions I have to ask is, are you and your hus- are, are you and the child's father together? Mm. You know, is there you know a, a, you don't take for granted that the child's last name is the same as the mother's last name or the father's last name, and and the the, the marriage, the family situations are so. Um, atypical or maybe now they are the typical. They are the norm when there is no two parents in the home. And, um, it's, it's very, very sad because I see the impact that that has on the children, um, growing up. But, you know, it all stems from the way that society presents the family. And, you know, I don't want to date myself, but if you go all the way back to my three sons and make room for daddy and, um, you know all of those shows that showed the family unit, Ozzie and Harriet, and Leave It to Beaver. I, I'm, I'm a little younger than that, but but you know, um, and and families were united, and mom and dad were were joined together, and they weren't. We they they were presented as wise and, and caring. Now you look at the way the family is presented, and it and the children are the wise ones, and the parents are the the idiots. If you want to, you know, but. I, um, and, you know, it's we've changed the way fam- society views the family. And so, therefore, we're going to see that impacted in those families, in the way that they relate to each other, in, the way, in their thoughts as they are entering marriage.
0: All right. So, hold you know, on. Hold on. If we're going to see we're going to stand for God in America, we have to stand for God's viewpoint concerning family, concerning marriage, concerning sexual behavior concerning all of these different things and yet you say in your book even christians are accepting this new moral code without considering how it contradicts their religious beliefs and yeah. so we're living counter we're living counter to god's standard for morality and living to support The world's standard for morality. So, how in the world can we be said to be standing for God in America?
1: Right, and we and we make excuses. We make excuses for ourselves. We make excuses for others, and and you know, (laughs) the Bible is is, has many many examples of of that we are not to excuse our own behavior. We're not to excuse others' behaviors. We're to hold them accountable, and and yet. Again, like I said before, in love and in care and concern because, you know, it could be that you married and and the person that you married is not a Christian or maybe you became a Christian after Mm -hmm. you were married and now you find yourself in this situation or, you know, things have happened in the past and you have no control over that. But you can start living today and say, Lord, take the mistakes that I've made. Take any way that I am not living up to your standards and help me to move forward from this moment on, mm, I like can't that. live in the past.
0: In other words, today is the first day of the rest of your life.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You cannot live in you know, regret of what you did or didn't do in the past. God can take everything that you are dealing with now and turn it to his glory and for your good if you will give it over to him and say, Lord, I will start right now. Um,
0: Isn't that what the, the Apostle Paul that. did? He said, forgetting exactly. those things that are behind. He was a murderer. He actually was complicit in the murder of the first martyr of the church, Stephen. Stephen. But he said, Mm -hmm. forgetting those things that are behind and pressing toward those things that are before, I press toward the mark. What mark? God's kingdom mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We need to adopt a completely different mind and heart set today, pressing toward the kingdom mark. Why is it we're so concerned about the kingdoms of this world and not about the kingdom of Christ?
1: I believe it's because God doesn't stand right before us in person. (laughs)
0: If
1: if he were standing right before us in person, we would be so ashamed. But because he is on a spiritual plane and and we don't take time in our daily world to, to visit with him in that Realm, it, you know, face to face on our knees, um, in scripture, we don't see him. And so it's easy to ignore him and, and just put our attention on those people that we see and, and seeking their approval and seeking their, um, their advocacy, uh, uh, you know, support. And so, um, yeah, if, if we could, if you could almost imagine Jesus sitting beside you as you live out your life. Which he is. He's sitting beside you. Know, but if you could imagine and visualize that, I believe that what we talk about, how we behave, what we spend our time doing would be drastically different. And um, Well, and, we and want to believe be,
0: that Jesus uh, is with us and never leaves us, Nor, per, but, but when it comes down, when push comes to shove, we don't really believe it. And because if we did, consistent. if we really did, things would be very different, wouldn't they?
1: They would be. We would be mortified. To see ourselves as God sees us, yeah. uh, you know? And uh, we go into those rooms with all the mirrors, and we don't want to look in the mirror because we don't want to see, you know, that we've overeaten and or, you know, how old we look, how many wrinkles we have. But that's exactly what we need to do as we stand before God and say, God, show me who I am in your sight, and then show me how I can live according to your principles.
0: Okay, so and, if we're going to make a difference, to make a difference, we have to be different, don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he didn't talk about doing stuff. He talked about being. They're the be attitudes or the attitudes of being. And uh, I think if we were to spend more time and attention to our being rather than our doing first, then our doing would be motivated out of our being What's really happening is we're trying to do without being.
1: I agree. I agree. We're we're so busy doing things for God that we forget God doesn't need us to do anything for him. He could do it all himself. What he wants is to allow us the privilege of working with him. And when we stop and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to stop doing all the things that I think you want me to do and do those things that I know that you've called me to do, spend time with you, be, be there for my family, do those things, then he can take everything else and bless it. And and then he will be honored in that. And and we, we won't be put on the pedestal because look how much we've done for God. God will be put on the pedestal of look who we are serving.
0: All right. Just uh, this week, the governor of Virginia uh, pardoned a gentleman, a man, who stood up for his daughter and family and, uh, in a northern school district in Virginia. She had been raped by a person who uh, the school district tried to protect. And uh, ultimately the school district had to fire this administrator because he basically lied. And so this this man had been convicted of a crime, because he spoke before the school district and its board, complaining about what they did or didn't do with regard to his daughter. So the governor pardoned the man for what he did completely. Mm -hmm. The problem with what the man did was that he didn't do it in a very righteous way. He went before them with cursing, and uh very very rough language instead of standing righteously he did he stood but he didn't stand righteously that bothered me i think the right. governor did the right thing on the other hand if a christ if if that man was truly a follower of jesus christ he actually defamed the name of christ even while purportedly doing good things that's a problem i think and I Dad think we need God. to consider that. And your book actually deals with the spirit of that. When we stand for God and for righteousness, we need to stand for it righteously. Standing for God in America, friends, it's a great book. Simple to read. $17. dollars will encourage you. It's on our website, saveus.org. We'll be right back.
3: But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click sell church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click sell church.
0: How do we stand for God and for his kingdom In a world, and particularly in a nation now, that is repudiating his name and his authority. How do we do that? That's really the subject of our conversation here today with our special guest, Lynn Wogaman from uh, South Carolina. She said we must realize that we will face opposition, not only from the general public, who most likely are non-Christian, but also from fellow believers. Whoa, Lynn, now you're starting to go for the jugular here. Why would it <laughs> <laughs> why would it be we would face problems, opposition from Christians?
1: I was very surprised when I started the research for the book to read so many articles written by Christians who their message was, stay in your lane. Just keep doing the Christian things. Uhhuh. And leave the other stuff to in other other
0: words just be nice
1: just be nice just
0: be nice
1: christians should be just focused on kingdom work don't get involved in what's going on in your communities and Mm -hmm. politics Mm -hmm. stay in your lane and and i i understand where they're coming from but i also don't think that we're called to do that i think we're called to be salt and light in the world and we can't do that if we're just staying in our churches in other words we're supposed Uh, to
0: bloom where we're planted in every aspect of life
1: Absolutely, because we, we, can't make, we can't be change agents if we don't engage in the culture. Um, you know, the idea of, of an alcoholic going into a bar to witness, and, you know, it's, you wouldn't necessarily encourage that. But as Christians, we are supposed to leave the comfort and go into the world and, and, and kind of get in the down and dirty. And, and other Christians aren't going to like that message they're not going to – that's going to make them feel very uncomfortable. Um, They're going to think that we're being judgmental um, or that we are, like I said, not staying in our lane. Um, Or they're going to be fearful that we're going to do something that undermines the effectiveness of the church. And so we have to be very careful that – Or that
0: undermines their ability to raise money.
1: Well, that might be true, too. (laughs) <laughs> you know, money is the root of everything, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I'm not going to touch that. My pastor would say, "I need the though. So please don't take them away." Um, and uh, you know, we we definitely you know do continue to support financially uh, the work of the church, but we also need to engage in other ways as well. And and um, and we, like I said, we need to support our those who are making a stand. We need to support those who are willing to to run for office. Um, with financial contributions, with our support, um, encouraging others to vote for them, we need to be willing to get out there and make a difference. And um, just staying home, putting our head in the sand, is not going to change our country.
0: Yeah. And we can't put our heads in the sand and, and play pretend saying, look, Ma, you can't see me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> or, look, God, you can't see me. Okay. Right. Now, you say the righteous can't rule unless there are qualified believers who are willing to run for office and unless the rest of us are willing to elect them when they do run. Now, two things that I want to say about this. First of <laughs> first of all, most Christians do not vote according to biblical standards. They vote according to their pocketbook. Mm -hmm. Or they vote according to their political party, according to the way granddaddy voted, or -hmm. according to what they think their community is voting for, instead of voting for a person that God or Christ would vote for. Mm -hmm. And so how in the world, then, if we say we're going to elect people that are righteous and yet we're not righteous in the way we vote. How are we going to make a difference? We're playing a game, aren't we?
1: We are. And our system is, is not set up necessarily um, perfectly. Um, and so ungodly people do get elected all the time. Um,
0: That's because ungodly people elect them.
1: Exactly. Because godly people are too busy doing everything else, and they're not standing up. And, and if... I had a quote from uh, Franklin Graham that said if uh, 25% more people would vote, 25% more Christians would have voted, we would have a totally different election. And and it's not who we're voting in, but we're, that we're voting on godly principles. Mm-hmm. God can take any ruler and make them rule according to the way he wants our country to go. So it's not about any one particular person that is elected to any particular office. It's about the the cumulative effect of all of these people who are elected into office from our school boards and our town councils all the way to our president. Sure. And it's not, like I said, it's just not one person that can make or break a country. But if we don't vote from a godly perspective and said, you know, there might not be a person who who follows every single thing that the Bible says, but if you pray and ask God to show you which person in each candidacy, each, each you know, Uh, office, would serve him closest, would serve him best, would honor him, then I think we will get more godly people elected um, and and see great changes. If you were to go back to
0: the book of Exodus, I believe it is, uh, Moses gave instructions to the children of Israel as to how to choose their leaders. Mm -hmm. And number one of the four things that he lists was men that fear God. Men that fear God. But the fear of the Lord has been abandoned in our country from the church house to the White House. We despise the word fear of the Lord, and that's why we despise the word obey, which pastors over and over again on this program have admitted is the most hated word in the church today. How can we say we represent the kingdom of God and for change, godly change in our country, when we hate the most fundamental thing that Jesus calls us to do, and that is obey Him,
1: and and be willing to do it not just in word but in action. Exactly. And and you know, a lot of people will throw out that I'm a Christian, I go to church, I'm, you know, but you have to look beneath that and say, what kind of lifestyle are they living? If they've been in office, how have they how have they um, voted and and Made decisions in the past. What are they basing their, um, decisions on? What are they basing their platform on? And, and is it based on godly principles? Yeah. And, and, and you have to be willing to do your research and you just can't vote the party line or vote because that person is from your state. I had two people from the South Carolina running for president. Um, you know, and, um, and both are great, great people. Um, so what do we do? And, and so you don't vote that way. You don't vote based on if the person is young or old or um, by race or, or any of that, you vote by, does that person have a foundational belief in God? Or have they shown that in the way they've lived their lives? And do I think they will rule by applying God's principles? And well, if, they all say, say
0: they believe in God. They just don't in believe in God. Him. See, right. belief in God is killing America. What we the don't devil, have is people who believe God.
1: The devil believes in God. Exactly. <laughs> and, and He just doesn't follow it exactly, um, and so yes, and we we have to pray for wisdom and discernment as we uh, as we vote. And I well, think what that's about the reason... Christian
0: that doesn't vote? What about the Christian that says, "Well, you know, I, I don't see anybody here that's perfect. I don't see anybody." And I said, "If you looked in the mirror lately, are you perfect? Why should anybody vote for you?" So right. I think we have a a false understanding of uh, this matter, and so yeah 25 plus percent of professing Christians don't vote because they're looking for perfection and do not understand. their failure to vote is a vote.
1: We would never call a pastor to a church if we were looking for perfectionism in our pastor. Really? Um, you think? Um, how much more? My grandfather was about this preacher, and he was the closest thing to perfect I've ever met in my life. Oh, wait a minute! I but thought you he said he was. A,
0: I thought you said he was a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Now. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, uh, but even he wasn't perfect, and he was really darn close. But yeah. he wasn't. Perfect. And, and so, you know, we cannot hold people to a standard that we ourselves can't even live up
0: to. Oh, and, now and, that's what Charles Krauthammer was talking about about 20 years ago, when he said, you know, we as Americans are increasingly looking for politicians to act in ways that we ourselves are not willing to act. He said there's a word for that. It's called hypocrisy.
1: Yes. <laughs> I miss Charles Krauthammer. Yes.
0: Yeah, he was quite a guy. Uh, yeah. he, he 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 definitely was not a Christian, but he uh, he had a lot of wisdom and he, and yeah, a lot of people deep miss deep him. Interesting. Yeah. All right, sister, you have uh, you have four grandchildren and four yeah. children, and uh, so we all have our challenges. Uh, I have eleven grandchildren and three daughters, and uh, we all have our challenges because every one of this is different. So, what are you doing? How are you doing with regard to? Uh, your kids, your grandkids, and so on, because they're living in this moral cesspool.
1: They are. Well, first of all, I pray for them daily. I can't be there with them. One one of my uh, sons lives in Maryland uh, with my two two of my grandchildren there, uh, and and I can't be with them on a daily basis, mm-hmm. but I can pray for them. Yeah,
0: co- that's constantly. what we do constantly every day,
1: and and then support them and encourage them and. Um, and I do have two grandchildren here locally that I get to see on a regular basis and being mm-hmm. being that person that is is a, an encourager that constantly reminds them that they are made in God's image and that they are loved by him they're still young um one is 16 months and one is he just turned 8 and so you know we're still preparing their hearts oh yeah for, you've got big um,
0: challenges ahead
1: yes <laughs> and 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 then yeah reminding my children you are Christian you accept Christ you need to live as that, as an adult, you know, just because you're a young adult doesn't mean that you forsake the teachings of your of your youth. And um, and just constantly, you know, living out that example, encouraging them, supporting them, um, and then doing everything that we can do to keep them from harm, um, to provide that training, continue ongoing training. Training never stops just because your children are adults.
0: You're kidding. Um, In other words, you're always a parent.
1: Always a parent. It's a (laughs) 24-7 for life job. Absolutely. That's true.
0: And just think about God. With the struggles that we have as parents or moms as dads, just think about God as a father. And he looks down at us and he sees our prevarication. He sees the perversion. He sees the distortion. He sees our rejection of his word, his will, and his ways. Can you just imagine as as he looks over the parapets of heaven at us, and just—is he wringing his hands up there? What, what's going on?
1: Yes, I believe my mother had a <laughs> saying that said a parent is only as happy as her saddest child. And and as a parent of four, that uh-huh. was true. If I had one child that was struggling, I was not happy. I was I was upset and, and yeah. worried about that child. And yeah. you know. and imagine God's attitudes and and his—he sees us and he sees the cliff that we're heading towards. Or he, you know, and and he's like. Stop, stop, and and we're just not listening. And, Mm. and you know, he he could stop, he could intervene in a moment and change our trajectory, but he gives us free will. And, and within his love and care for us, he gives us that right to say no to him. And unfortunately, many of us do that. We say no to him and say, no, I've got this. I can, I'm, a, I'm, yeah. I'm good. I'm an adult. I can do this on my own. In
0: other words, we've adopted uh, Frank Sinatra's mantra, I'll do it my way. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, sister, I thank you so much for what you've done here, Standing for God in America, how Christians can make a difference in today's society. So many things that you have in your book. You've got a proper righteous balance, and I appreciate it. And, uh, yes, you did obey your husband. He told you to write it. <laughs> And you did. And so you were obedient to your husband. You were a God-fearing woman. You obeyed your husband. And uh, the blessing is ours. Friends, the book, $17, on our website, saveus.org. Write to us, Save America Ministries. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. If you're writing a check, add $5 for postage and handling. And here is a resounding wrap-up message from John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States. Here's what he said. Duty is ours. But the results are God's. Remember that. Duty is ours. The results are God's. Let's not pride to pray God. Let's do our duty. God bless. Be a blessing. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith. Friends, to Save America Ministries, go to the website SaveUs.org